was expecting an introduction of some sort, but okay. <laughs> Hi, good morning, happy new year. So here's my first question. How many of you watched some of the bowl games yesterday? How many of you would say I was disappointed with the results? How many would say I'm ecstatic with the results? I watched the game, and I literally, I'm not a Michigan fan. I'm not. Fighting Irish. But, but I watched the Michigan game in a room full of Wolverines. I actually wore a blue sweater with a yellow shirt and all that stuff, and, and I just watched it. It was like, there's a house fire going on here. It's not good. Uh, how many of you stayed up, like, and till midnight and ushered in the new year? Okay. I don't do that anymore. I... I Good, a good sleep is more important because I know what's going to happen, so it's okay. <laughs> Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 11, and we'll start at verse 19. I am hoping and I am praying to be a blessing this morning to the family at City Church. My hope and prayer is that you individually, as you'll see from the text, give God the Holy Spirit who already indwells you a fuller reign of your life. And after we do that, that you will pour that spirit-filled life into your church family here at City Church. I'm starting at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word, but only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed, and they turned to the Lord. Now news of this reached the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, Father, as we open your word this morning, we would pray that you will help our hearts to be open and teachable. Lord, we desire to grow, to be a, a people that are your people that grow in faith, that reflect you well in our community. That, that pour into our church family. So as we read into the scriptures this morning, we pray that you would teach us much. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you were to ask me who my favorite New Testament character was, I'm going to have to be honest, it's going to be Barnabas uh, for lots of different reasons. In fact, if you will do a study of the book of Acts and put your Barnabas goggles on, You'll find him everywhere doing all kinds of different things, and you'll see him mentioned in the, in the epistles as well. Barnabas was a busy man. Now, we see them, and all the things he were doing were good things, but if you and I really, it's good that we admire his actions, but it's also more important. It's more important to look at what was the source. Why was Barnabas doing the things he was doing? And Acts chapter 11 tells you why. That he was a good man and he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. You see, as you read the book of Acts, you see a progression starting right around chapter 8. 
The church originally had been 100% Jewish. It was born on the day of Pentecost. And, but in Acts chapter 8, you see the gospel going into Samaria. You see the gospel going into Ethiopia. Acts chapter 9, you see the conversion of Saul, who will eventually be the apostle to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, you see Peter, for the first time in his life, stepping into the house of a centurion and sharing the gospel and bringing them to faith and baptizing a Roman centurion. In Acts chapter 11, the, the walls break down because a large, now a large number of Greeks are coming to faith. And the church of Jerusalem hears about this and they're asking themselves, there are a lot of new believers here who know nothing, who know nothing about the Old Testament. How do we disciple them? How do we make them grow? One name came to mind. St. Barnabas. Now, lots of us have nicknames. And lots of us don't want to share our nicknames for lots of reasons. It may have been junior high or high school. Someone took your last name and decided to have fun with it, and they slaughtered your name, and they gave you a nickname. To this day, it, you cringe when you hear it. Some of us had physical features when we were younger that we've kind of grown out of. Maybe not. Uh, but people like to kind of point those out, whether it's, a, whether it's your height or lack of it, I know about that, color of your hair, or what you look like, your, your ethnicity, you were given a nickname. But for some of us, it was a character trait. We've all heard the name Storm and Norman, and it gives a picture of what that person was like. Here's the reason why I tell you this. Barnabas wasn't really his name. His name wasn't really Barnabas. His name was Joseph. His name was Joe. And the reason... And Barnabas then was his nickname. And the reason it was given because the name Barnabas means this, the son of encouragement, the son of encouragement. And the reason why is that he was characterized, he was characterized by an encouraging spirit. That word encouragement, as you study it, draws a picture. And here's the picture. Someone walking side by side with a friend hand on shoulder, and either by actions or his words, helping that person, admonishing that person, encouraging that person in love to grow further in their faith. And that was all over this guy. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Whatever it takes to make you grow, I will help you grow. And it may have been that one day as they were teaching in the temple and it had been a busy day and there were thousands of people that needed to have housing needs met, um, food met, discipleship done, that he was all over this. And at the he walks into the temple and one of the, the apostles sees him and, and says, hey, there's the encourager. There's the Barnabas. And it was a positive name. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and that nickname stuck. So you see that all throughout the New Testament. I mentioned the last time I was here, I have a number of grandchildren. My oldest daughter has given me two really amazing grandchildren. Her first one was Hudson. His name was Hudson. And right around the time Hudson was three years old, he was visiting us, visiting us and I had already had the, the habit of sitting down, sitting him on my lap, and I would read to him all kinds of books. But then sometimes I would sing to him. And one of the songs I would always sing to him is, uh, Old MacDonald had a farm. 
okay, audience participation, good stuff. And then, and then I, I'd say, and, the, and he had a cow and the moo-moo here, and, and then a sheep. And, but then I changed the song. Hudson Daniel had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. And we'd do the whole thing. And, and I'd sing that to him all the time. One day, he comes to visit. I'm on the second floor of the house. He's downstairs. And I hear him walking around the house agitated, agitated. And his mom says to him, Hudson, what's wrong? E-I-O, E-I-O, E-I-O. What's wrong? And she takes him to one room, and he's looking in the room. E-I-O, E-I-O. And he goes to every room in the main floor. Then he goes to the second floor and finds me in, in my office working. And he points to me and he says, E-I-O. <laughs> Coolest grandfather name ever. Am I right? <laughs> someone, said, someone said, oh, he'll grow out of that. I'm thinking, why would you want him to grow out of that? To this day, he's going to be 10 this October. You know what he calls me? E-I-O. You see, he gave me a nickname that was associated with my actions, and the same was true of Barnabas. Barnabas had a way of reminding others by his words and his actions, serve the Lord, because he was a man who was full of the Holy Ghost. And wouldn't it be amazing to have a church full of a Barnabas spirit that you walked in on a Sunday morning and you thoroughly enjoyed the time of worship and you sat down and you listened to the message, and you didn't evaluate the message, rather you let the message evaluate you. But then, as you entered into the building at the beginning, and as you left at the end, you made it a point to connect with your church family and made sure, and, it, and you admonished them, serve the Lord, encouraging them, getting a feel for what their needs, and then pouring your life into your church family. That, my friends, that, my friends, is an unstoppable church a man full of the Holy Spirit. You see, after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. Wait for the gift that my Father is going to give you, the one I've told you about. You are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we understand that God's Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity that there is God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a being with a mind, emotions, and will. He can literally be grieved. He's a person. He's omniscient. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. And you see him all throughout the Bible. You see him at creation. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You see him interacting with the saints of the Old Testament, empowering them for special tasks that the Father had for them. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see him at Jesus' baptism. He was poured out in the lives of believers at Pentecost. And that same gift, that same gift of God's Holy Spirit was poured out on you the moment you believed. Someone said that the Christian life is difficult, and I would counter by saying the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible without the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. But God's Holy Spirit wants to be the change maker in his life as he indwells you. I stopped for a second, and I have to say this. There was a time where we visited, my wife and I visited uh, the state of Hawaii, and while we were there, we were told, you need to do cocoa head. Who's ever been there's a few of you. 
and I wasn't ready for it as far as the climbing of the steps all the way to the top of the mountains, which were railroad ties. Uh, I wasn't ready for the sky that was an incredible color of blue. I couldn't believe. No wonder they call it the deep blue sea. And I see, and I wasn't ready for the volcano crater or the forest or the beaches or the incredible beauty. And I can talk about that all day. I cannot do Cocoa Head justice. And neither can I in the short time we have give, you, give the Holy Spirit the justice here or, or the, the time he deserves because there's so much. But I do want this morning to give you two big picture ideas. One, the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, and two, the filling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of God's Holy Spirit and the filling of God's Holy Spirit. These two ideas are vital to your understanding of what it means to grow in your faith. Ephesians tells us this, that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. God's Holy Spirit indwelling in the believer. And in here it tells us it's a deposit. It's an unbreakable guarantee for the believer. It is a down payment, a first installment on heaven. God's word tells us that eye has not seen or ear has heard or has entered into the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But the Holy Spirit is the first installment on our understanding of that. It is the claim of Almighty God on the soul of the believer. You are mine. You are my bride. You are my brother. You are my friend. You are my people. Galatians tells us that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. Now I take this to mean that when we receive Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters. And we, we enter into a relationship that was literally unheard of in the Old Testament. One person said that the idea of God as Abba Father was unparalleled in the whole of Jewish literature. It is so intimate. This relationship with God is so intimate that we cry out, Abba Father. Well, what's that mean? It's the same emotion that your three-year-old would call out at night when they lay in bed and they're afraid. It's that same emotion, that same word that your child would, would have when they've got their hands on the window and their nose pressed on the window waiting for you to come home and they see the car pull up and they yell out, Daddy's home! Abba, Father. I have a friend, a couple, that are dear, dear friends of ours and at one point they adopted an orphan from an Asian country. And when they got her, all she had, her only possessions, her only possession was a ragged dress, a worn-out dress, and some ragged slippers. That's all she came with. Now, they already had two children, but this was the first girl, and mom went to town. I, I mean, talk about shoes, shoes all over the place, clothes for this, clothes for that, ribbons for the hair, a room that was hers, a bed that was hers. She had a place at the dinner table because she was a daughter. But, you know, for the first few months, I didn't even mention full access to the refrigerator. But for the first few months and seasons of her life, she didn't understand it. You know what she'd do? She'd cling to those ragged slippers like they were the most important treasure in her life. 
she clinged to those slippers in absolute desperation. After dinner, she would steal food off the dinner table and tuck it under her bed because she was afraid of that season of her life where there would be no food in, in, in the house and she had to take care of herself. But slowly she began to understand and she began to call Jerry, Dad, and Tara, Mom, Mommy. She began to understand that she was loved and she had a future. Today, her closet's jammed with shoes and her toenails are painted and she's got ribbons. And the house, the fridge, all of it, all of it, all of it is hers. I belabor the point because of this. Some believers, some believers conduct their spiritual life like they're unwanted and an un unwelcomed orphan. You'd never tell anyone, but you hold tight to spiritual ragged shoes, cheap imitations of the significance that we have through the cross of God's Holy Spirit. And the reasons are plentiful, but in some cases, you have lived a past life or you have gone through failures in your life that you're embarrassed to talk about, and, you, and they hang on your neck like a dead albatross. When you grew up, poisonous words were spoken in your life, poisonous words repeatedly as you grow up by the very people that should have been speaking affirmations in your life, and you can't shake it. Wickedness that was done to you beyond your control, and yet you still hold the guilt because of that. And we hang on to cheap solutions and placebos. But the love of the Father and the new identity that we have as his sons and daughters is so beyond our comprehension that God has sent the Holy Spirit into our lives to dwell into us and whisper to us, call him Abba, Father, because that's who he is and that's who you are. Brendan Madding put it this way, that our identity rests in God's relentless tenderness for us, revealed, revealed in Jesus Christ. The indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, it speaks amen to us in our hearts when we hear truth being spoken. It lovingly convicts us when we sin. It helps us to pray when we are so heavy with grief that there are no words. It helps us communicate God's truth with power. It enables us to live the fruitful life that Jesus promised, and it strengthens us to stay faithful as we look forward to the Lord's return. This, this is the indwelling of the Spirit. It's a gift given to all believers without exception, and no conditions are placed except one, faith in Jesus Christ. But God wants more for you. God desires more for you. He wants you to go from dwelling as a, indwelling as a believer to filling as believers. What is then the filling of God's Holy Spirit? You see the idea of full of the Holy Spirit all throughout the book of Acts. Peter is, has performed a miracle and he's called in by the authorities and say, by what authority do you have to say what you just said and to do what you just did? And he gives this amazing sermon declaring Jesus Lord, a resurrected Jesus Lord, Great sermon, but then it says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, when the church is trying to organize and take care of all the needs of these thousands of believers, they needed to have deacons, and one of the men they chose was a man named Stephen. And it says about him, he was a man of faith, and he was full of God's Holy Spirit. 
In Acts, in Acts chapter 13, on the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas are expelled out of the city, and as they leave the city, they, they are full with joy and full of God's Holy Spirit. You see it over and over again in the book of Acts. But for us, this is what the admonition is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, we've all seen the results of the abuse of literally any stimulant, the loss of control, the tragedy. We could all tell stories, couldn't we? But here God is saying that is what you're giving control of your life. Don't do this. Instead, be filled with God's Holy Spirit. In other words, be controlled by God's Holy Spirit. And you may be thinking, I thought we already had the Holy Spirit. Well, you do. But let's compare. When we speak of God's, when we speak of the indwelling, it's when he comes into your life, the moment of salvation. It's for all believers. It's permanent. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is all about, it's all about this. Who calls a shot in senior life? Who determines what you do, where you go, what your attitude is? Who calls the shots? You see, filled, filled with the Spirit is a picture of the believer giving God the Holy Spirit control of your life. You begin to cooperate with the work he wants to do in your life. And, by, and you use the tools that God has given you at your disposal, and you begin to use those. And what happens? Growth. Growth. And because that growth isn't you, all you're doing is cooperating. Because the growth is from God's Holy Spirit, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Consider this picture. Consider a planner. Maybe you got it like at a white elephant gift exchange. Maybe you found it on, at clearance. It may be in the basement of the house. It may be in the attic. It's dusty, and it probably maybe isn't really that attractive, and you have no use for it. It's a picture of us before we came to Christ, and we were dead in our trespasses and sin, far from God, enemies of God. We were lost. And then that day came when you came to faith. John 1.12 says that, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, and everything has changed. Now take that same empty pot, and inside of it plant a blueberry bush. And suddenly that empty pot that maybe even wasn't that attractive has gained value, life, purpose, beauty, nourishment. Now, the pot isn't tucked away in the shed anymore, just gathering dust. This is a picture of life now. It is a picture of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Corinthians echoes this. Don't you know that your bodies are temple of the, temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who have you received from God? You're not your own. You've been bought with the price. This is more than forgiveness. Everything changes in the life of the believer. And now the filling can begin because we ask the question, what does the plant need? What does the plant need to grow? Well, it needs sunlight, fertilizer, water, weeding, debugging, protection from the elements, constant attention. But what happens? What happens when we do this? You see, the more you give that blueberry bush preeminence, the more and the more I take away what stops fruitfulness from that blueberry bush, the more it grows, the more, it, the more fruit it produces. And I find myself 
reaping the results, sharing the benefits. Fresh blueberries, blueberry cobbler, blueberry pies, blueberry, shall I continue? <laughs> and we find ourselves having more fruit than we know what to do with, and we begin to pass it around, and others enjoy the benefit of the work that, that, that I've put into giving that blueberry bush as much room to grow as, as I can give it. Be filled with the Spirit. You see, this is a picture of the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does a believer need then to have the Spirit grow? It's not that complicated. Just like a plant, the more I take in of God's Word individually, me, but also corporately as a church family, the more I pray and ask God to search my heart, see if there's anything in me that, that, that um, an unclean way in you, the more I pull out and begin weeding the lies of our culture. Uh, our culture will tell you that this life is all you got, so get as much of it as you can. YOLO. You only live once, right? That's a lie because there's a different finish line. That finish line for us is when we see the Father, when we see Jesus, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We live our life in the light of eternity instead of the light of the we are temporary beings. So we do constant weeding. The more I immerse myself in my Christian community as I am ministered by them and I minister to others, this is so important. You see, it's, it's possible, it's entirely possible to get a really rousing sermon on the Internet. But there's more to the Christian life than receiving a sermon. So you cannot love each other as God's Word commands. You can't love each other deeply from the heart online or with a meme or with an emoji. You need your church family. And the more, and the more I do these things, the more I've created a place where the Spirit can have control of my life. And it's constant maintenance that's needed because, because it's possible to quench it. It's possible to quench it. So we need to be aware about quenching the Spirit. Well, how do you quench the Spirit? It tells us in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. Now, quench means exactly that. It means to snuff something out, to dampen the flame, to smother it. And a big part about that is church family, don't don't ignore the promptings of God's Holy Spirit. Stop doing what is wrong. Start doing what is right. Start by being obedient to God's Word. I, I remember there was a time when I was a youth pastor and I was teaching about interacting with, with people and how to solve conflict. And at one point I said, from Corinthians, it's, there are times in conflict with people that maybe the best thing you can do is just take the loss. Why not just suffer being wronged and walk away and give God the glory. I taught that on a Sunday morning. That Sunday afternoon, my wife and I had an argument, okay? Have you ever had that time where you've had an argument with your spouse and you're driving to church and you're mad, okay? And, and you arrive at church and your kids know you're mad and your wife knows you're, you're all mad at each other and then you open the door and the smile comes on your face because you're coming into the church building. You'd never do that. I've done it. So we came into the building, and I was, I mean, my face had changed, but my, my kids knew I was mad. Now, my son was, had been in the class that morning that I had taught, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Dad, why not just take the loss? Shut up, kid. <laughs> who, who raised you? 
But there are times that we hear God's word taught and we choose not to obey. When we do that, we begin the process of quenching the spirit in our lives. Take the loss. You see, obedience is the hard work of breaking up that hardened soil so the roots can go deeper and the fruit can be sweeter. Here's another way we quench, is we say no to the promptings of God's Holy Spirit. You see, there are times when God prompts us to action. Barnabas, full of God's Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, the, the church is full of new believers who have needs. The church is overcrowded with them. There's going to be a need for shelter. There's going to be a need for food. And what Barnabas does is he takes a piece of land that is his and he sells it and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Can you picture that? Barnabas was a Levite who knew the Bible better than maybe any, any of the apostles, but he submits and lays that at the apostles' feet, an act of generosity. Now, Pastor, i got to tell you, I love what people do. It's one of my favorite things that you do. I'm sure you're the same way, that there's someone in church with a need and someone walks up to you and says, I have an envelope. I want to give this. I want you to give this to the person. Here's my main condition. They had no idea that it came from me. And they give me an envelope, and it's thick. And it's like, okay. And I go to that person, and I feel like Santa Claus taking something that, that really just being the messenger, watching, but more than that, watching the spirit of generosity work within the body of Christ. Promptings of the Holy Spirit, making the phone call, asking for forgiveness, receiving a phone call, and, and giving forgiveness, restoring a brother or sister who hurt you, investing in people, loving people enough, speaking truth in the people's life that you've already invested in, and loving them enough to lose a friendship because in love you told them the truth. May I ask you, what has God prompted you to do that you're holding back on? See, God's Word tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Can we agree that those virtues are in short supply in our culture? Can we also agree that everyone in this room is starving for these virtues, both to have them in your life and to, and, and to give them to others? Inward qualities in our lives that, that soothe our troubled spirits so we can persevere and outward qualities so we can interact with our world. Let me ask you the question, what does the filling of God's Holy Spirit look like as I interact with the church? Well, we look at it, and back to Acts chapter 11, I read it again. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. There is so much in this sentence, but the central sentence is this. He was a good man, full of the Spirit. Watch the action, because it says when he arrived. And the word picture given as someone who comes in and goes elbow deep within a community immediately. Remember, this was a Levite entering the world of a Gentile. See, people aren't believers because they look like you or their, be or their behavior conforms to yours. We have to encourage you to go deep within our church family and our, and our city as well. 
Barnabas goes, he goes elbow deep, and there he sees evidence of the grace of God. Literally, he watched, observed, and he sees new, untaught Christians. They had miles to go in their relationship, but in their lives, stumbling through, taking the baby steps, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. They belong to the Lord just like he did. What was his response? He was glad. He was glad. He rejoiced exceedingly. Audible praise, it tells us. God's word tells us that love rejoices in truth. And the natural flow of all that is he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Again, encouraged side by side, my words and my actions speak. And then to remain true, to make it your goal, put it on display. Could you imagine a church that acted out like that? Let me ask you this. In some cases, maybe you feel this morning if we are a church of people with clay feet, maybe you feel you cannot be filled. Brennan Manning says this, in my experience, self-hatred is a dominant malaise crippling Christians and stifling their growth in the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, as I said before, we carry things, that horrid lie, that business trip that you took far from home that took you further from home, that time you exploded in anger, you spent years in the hollow of Satan's hand, the day you were needed passionately that you did not respond, that date, that jealousy, that pettiness, that habit, the hours of pornography on the internet that no one knows about, that you feel cheap and used and dirty. Wasted years. May I tell you, it does not matter what you have done before. It does not matter what you have done before. You can be obedient now, right here, today. You can begin to take your first steps of obedience. God's word says that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So may I ask you, are you willing to live a life in obedience to the Lord that the Holy, so that the Holy Spirit cannot just indwell you, but fill you? That's my prayer for City Church. May I pray for you? Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that when we came to faith, you did not leave us alone but you gave us your Holy Spirit to indwell us and to, and to be a part to declare to us that we belong to you, that we are your beloved. And Father, uh, we ask now that even as we say that, Lord, there are, we desire to be filled. We desire to be fruitful. Uh, help us to respond well to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as that we see in the Word and the promptings of the Holy Spirit as leads in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Thank you.